Hi, this is Pastor Brittany Isaac from Urban Village Church, Chicago. We are a church that is bold, inclusive, and relevant. I know that many of you out there are hungry for a gospel message of healing and wholeness, a message that leads to a life transformed by Christ. I hope that this podcast does just that. And if it does, would you please consider making a financial gift that will support this gospel-inclusive ministry? You can do that by going to urbanvillagechurch.org forward slash give. Thanks so much and have a blessed day. So this apology was basically, it was a transaction. It's something that they did, but there was no potential for transformation and change from it, right? There was, there was no opportunity to, to like fully confess and name what happened and be changed. And so in response to this transactional apology, Professor Long Soldier wrote a book called Whereas, which I have not read, but sounds amazing, and I would highly uh, commend it to you. And it is a, uh, the goal of this book was for her to tell the story of her people in first person. So not to go back to Wounded Knee 100 years ago, but to talk about like right now how this non-apology has affected her people. She wanted people to know what it's like. And so as we wrap up this sermon series on confession today, this story came to me, this non-apology transactional confession came to me because I think it is often the way that we think about community uh, apologies, which is like that we give word lip service to them but don't often um, find ourselves changed by them. Um, and so we're going to talk about that today, what it, what it means to honestly name where we are as a community. And, and we find ourselves in so many different communities. It might be a work community that we're in or our church community or like the Chicago community or the American community. We find ourselves in so many different places that um, intentionally or unintentionally cause harm. And so we want to think about today, what does it mean to name that, to confess that and to be changed by that? Because as one of my uh, favorite theologians says, uh, Archbishop Desmond Tutu, he says, there's no future without forgiveness. And we can't begin the process of forgiveness if we don't confess, right? If we don't honestly name our wrongdoings as as people. Um, And we need to do that. We've been talking about how to do that individually, but we need to talk about how to do that collectively too. We're going to talk more about what that looks in a minute, but first I want to jump into the scripture passage today. Uh, It's a little harsh at the beginning. Yes? Anybody feel that? Uh, I despise your festivals. Um, I will not receive your burnt offerings. Take away from me the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the melody of your Hammond organ or harp. I mean, God kind of sounds like a jerk. Yeah? Yeah? No? You guys aren't with me? I don't have to deconstruct this if you don't think God's not sounding like a... Um, I think God sounds like a jerk in this. Um, and, and almost like if, if you read this out of context, you almost think, oh, we're not supposed to have music in church, right? Kind of sounds like that. Um, but I think this, this passage is an example of how when we take scripture out of context, when we don't understand all that's happening, um, it we don't fully understand God. So we're gonna dive into this scripture for just a few minutes today um, and, and see that maybe God isn't like ang- uh, wrathful and, and bad, but, um, but is loving. 
So the first thing we wanna do is think about what is the image of God that you hold? What is your image of God? In this scripture passage, uh, God is angry, yes? Yes. Um, So the question is, is that anger a source of God's power and might? Or is that anger um, rooted in God's primary force of love? And uh, if, if any of you are parents or any of you are in um, a relationship where you love someone deeply and you've been angry at them, then you can see how sometimes we can be angry, but it's not coming from a source of, um, of um, hating that person as an individual. It's actually coming out of love for seeing where the person is and where they should be in the, the space and wanting them to change, right? Or maybe you felt that from somebody else too. God's anger is never off the hook, out of control. It's always rooted in um, love and compassion. Um, one word I heard recently this week, which I really enjoyed or, uh, a set, is fierce compassion, right? Fierce compassion. So it's, God's not a pushover, but rooted in love and compassion and yet still naming kind of where we have gone wrong. So I wanna look at the passage through that lens. And if we look at it through that lens, then we see that this passage is actually not about worship style, but it's about the substance, worship substance. God is angry because people, they come and they do their duty on the Sabbath day, right? They, they worship, they offer a sacrifice, and then they go about their business as usual. Nothing changes. The people of Israel, they turned what was supposed to be an agent of joy and connection to God into the, just this empty action of liturgy, right? They were giving lip service to God, but not heart service. So they would visit these holy places like Bethel and um, Gilgal and Beersheba. Remember we talked about Beersheba several uh, weeks ago with Jacob and the well. If you don't remember, that's okay. Um, They would visit these holy places to the Israelites and they would go and they'd offer sacrifice and sing songs, praise songs to God, and then they'd turn around and do everything as if God didn't exist and God wasn't the primary source of of, uh, force of love in their life. Everything was simply a transaction and not a transformation. So, in another place in the Bible, In Proverbs 3, 6, it says, in all your ways, acknowledge God. And this is just um, saying that basically everything we do should be a reflection of God in our life and how, how Yahweh, how the ultimate source of love and forgiveness is moving in our life. So what Amos is trying to communicate about God is that God, I mean, God could take or leave the holy days, the sacrifices, all of that. What God wants is for our hearts to be aligned with God's heart, to see the vision of justice and righteousness that God offers. God doesn't want simple transaction, God wants transformation, right? Not transaction, but transformation. So there's a beautiful line in the scripture, let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. Where have we heard that line before? Yeah, how many of you knew that actually it was, that that King was quoting scripture and not that that was a line that King made up? 
Yeah. How many of you thought it was like King was a poet and was just writing? Okay, nobody, and then half of you just don't want to respond. That's fine. <laughs> That's fine. Um, so see, in Israel, the wadi, which is like the valley between the mountains, um, it was usually a really dry and desolate place. Like that, that kind of cracked earth dry. And the waters would come down, when it did rain, it would be a torrential storm. And the ground was so parched and dry that it couldn't even like absorb it and would just rush out, right? Um, and so that was the pattern. It was, it was dry and desolate and then this rain that nobody could even contain and then it would be dry and desolate and then rain. And what, what Amos is saying in the scripture passage is that we don't want that. We want a vision of justice and righteousness that is an ever-flowing stream, something that is constantly nurturing and, um, and helping us to grow and be transformed. Not, uh, I'm going to come here on Sunday and get my Jesus on, and then I'm going to go about my week that has nothing to do with what getting my Jesus. You know, I'm going to come and get, it's like a wadi, rains, oh, I'm praising God, and then, oh, nothing. What? That was Sunday, right? Amos is saying, no, not that. It's an ever-flowing stream. It is, it is every day. It is every hour. It is every minute. Sometimes living your faith is every second. You ever been in a place where you're like, breathe, right? So Dr. King's uh, great I Have a Dream speech, uh, it does so many things. We could have a whole sermon series on this speech. But one of the things that it does is remind us that um, our thirst for justice and righteousness cannot be satisfied as long as people, our fellow children of God, our fellow, fellow siblings in Christ are being harmed. So listen to just a few words of his speech. This is... This is um, part of uh, the part of the speech that comes just before the let justice roll down. There are those who are asking the devotees of the civil rights, when will you be satisfied? We can never be satisfied as long as the Negro is the victim of unspeakable horrors of police brutality. We can never be satisfied as long as our bodies, heavy with fatigue of travel, cannot gain lodging in the motels of the highways and the hotels of the cities. We, can never, we cannot be satisfied as long as the Negro's basic mobility is from a smaller ghetto to a larger one. We can never be satisfied as long as our children are stripped of their selfhood and robbed of their dignity by signs stating for whites only. We cannot be satisfied so long as the Negro in Mississippi cannot vote and the Negro in New York believes that he has nothing for which to vote. No, no, we are not satisfied and we will not be satisfied until justice rolls down like water and righteousness like an ever flow, or like a mighty stream. Isn't that powerful? Yeah, are we satisfied as, as God's people then, y'all? Some things have changed since King's speech, but the thing, but the thing is a lot has not. We still talk about police brutality we still struggle with voting rights and with this sense of hopelessness that nothing is going to change at the polls and so why vote anyway? We're still longing for this stream of ever-flowing uh, ever water, right? Of justice and righteousness. 
So here's where communal confession comes in, which we're talking about today, right? The Christian tradition, so when we're in a situation like this, the Christian tradition would say, well, confession and repentance are the first steps toward forgiveness and reconciliation. That's a lot easier for me to stand up here and name and say than it is to live into, yes? You can also say amen, because that's a really hefty statement, right? So over the past couple of weeks, we've uh, been looking about what it means individually to do a fearless and moral inventory of ourselves. And it is so hard, right? Like that, that in and of itself, to do a, an individual fearless and moral inventory of our life, it is a lifelong journey of discovery. It is so hard. And we have to do that with the communities that we live in too. Super hard. <laughs> Super hard. But, but when we do that, when we do that, we realize that our confessions can't just be simple transactions like the U.S. apology to natives. They have to be um, things that lead us to change and transformation. So as people of faith, um, we know that a communal confession, it at once burdens us and it lightens us. We are burdened because we hold and acknowledge the pain that the community, whatever community we're a part of, that our community has caused. And it lightens us because we know naming the truth, naming the truth of that pain can begin to liberate us all, those who caused the harm and those who were on the other part of the harm, received the harm. We all become liberated. So I want to I want to go back to uh, Laylee Longfellow, or Long Soldier, for just a minute. Um, but this liberation, y'all, it is resurrection. It is resurrection. So I want to listen to just a couple minutes of this uh, podcast that I heard from On Being. Um, in it, uh, Laylee Long Soldier is talking about uh, Faith Spotted Eagle, who is a Lakota, and she's actually, she's really cool because she's actually the only Native uh, woman who actually received a vote in the 2016 Electoral College. It's kind of cool, right? Um, so she, uh, uh, Professor Long Soldier heard a talk by um, uh, Faith Spotted Eagle, and so she's talking about that. So I guess you know. some of these traumas that have happened. Yeah. And she was saying for Native people talking about these things, it's important to process of healing. Mm-hmm. And for me, I think it's not just healing. I would add to that a sense of justice. Mm-hmm. You know, being heard. And then on the other hand, she said for non-Native people, hearing, um, listening to these narratives, these histories, and engaging in a conversation that is not about guilt, and it's not about shame. It is about, in her words, I think she said, um, freedom from denial. Mm -hmm. It allows a liberation. So I think that that's really um, maybe what was important to me in this work, you know. And I didn't want to jump back 100 or 150, 200 years. Uh, I didn't want to jump back to Wounded Knee or Sand Creek. 
I wanted to say this is what it's like here and now, you know, in my own lifetime. This is not history. This is not old history. It's present Mm -hmm. in my life, in my child's life, my daughter's life, right? Um, Someone recently asked me, a little bit embarrassing, um, they pointed out how many pieces include my daughter <laughs> in them. And I was like, oh my gosh, that's so true. But and it, I was a little embarrassed just because I didn't want to seem obsessed. But um, I think that that was important to me as well. Um, it, it's not, it's not just not the past. It's, it's the present and the future. Right? It's, the, it's the world we're creating. Exactly. So y'all, we're creating the present and the future right now. And uh, we can't do it without acknowledging our past, without confessing in the ways that, that we need to confess. And, and that's as Americans, that's as Christians, that's as Chicagoans, as, as UVCers, as, as the other communities that you find yourself in. We have to be able to look at our past and use it to build a better future. That is true confession. That is what leads to transformation. Sometimes these confessions are like really big, really big uh, over wrongdoings that we've done for hundreds of years. So um, at the 2012 uh, General Conference of the United Methodist Church, of which UVC is a part of, we uh, passed a legislation uh, of, of, it was called Acts of Repentance and Confession uh, to Native People for our part in causing harm. And over multiple years, there were, um, in each of these geographic regions of annual conference, we had listening sessions. We, uh, we listened to indigenous folks tell their stories of what's happening now. Last year, I think it was at our annual conference, we had a, a whole worshiping ceremony with, um, um, of acts of repentance and confession. And we do that so that we can learn and do something new, right? so that we can be transformed and build a better future together. And sometimes uh, the things are like not a whole denomination of a church. They might be like a small church body, right? And, and maybe it's not like we're not confessing the, the loss of, of, ma- of mass genocide that we caused. We're confessing that uh, we've messed up, right? At UVC, we wanna be an anti-racist community and we get a lot right, yes? And we get a lot wrong, yes? And it's okay to say that and to name that. That's, that's how we learn and grow. And it can feel really painful to say we got a lot wrong. That could seem weak. But one of the things that I know about the Christian journey, and, and when... When we get something wrong, we, we have to admit that we're fallible. <laughs> and it's sort of like dying to ourselves a little bit, right? But what I know about the Christian journey is that when we die to ourselves, God always brings about resurrection and something new. So in a couple of months, we're actually going to be releasing um, an audit that our anti-racism team has been working on over the past uh, nine months. And I want to thank, I see Rebecca is here, and is Luis here, um, or Chantel? 
Um, I want to thank them. They have been, I don't even know how many hours you guys have been putting in on this, but they have um, put countless hours in, in, of work in to, to look at our seven-year history as a church, right? And to look at our founding organizing documents, to look at the ways that we make decisions. Um, and when it's released in a couple of months, we're, uh, we're going to um, use it as a guide to move forward to know that we can do better, to know that we want to be a community where uh, justice rolls down uh, like a mighty water and ever-flowing stream, right? We want to move forward and build a UVC that is truly inclusive of God's love, uh, that is an inclusive place, right? And you know what? (laughs) If you're white, this report is probably going to be hard to read. If you're a person of color, this report is probably going to be hard to read. And it's going to be hard to read because this is like, race is such a painful topic, right? And it causes us to have to look internally, and it causes us to have to look at external decision makings, and and these feelings of shame and guilt can come up. And what we want to do is run from that, right? Who wants to feel shame and guilt? <laughs> Nobody. <laughs> and, and like I said earlier, it's like when we see that, when we, when we begin to look with new eyes, there's like a dying to ourself that sometimes happens, right? It's a dying of innocence, a dying of naivety, a, a dying, dying of hopelessness. And we have to look with new eyes and wait and see where resurrection can take place in that. This is, I mean, you know, we say we're bold, inclusive, and relevant. Y'all, this is relevant, right? I can't think of a more relevant topic. So uh, I want to, so it's going to be fun. (laughs) Yay, I can't wait, right? it's coming out in October, so everybody has to be in worship in October, okay? It's going to be hard, and it's going to be messy, and that is okay. That's what church community is, right? Hard and messy. But we know that in that hard and messy place, God takes that and creates something more beautiful than we can imagine, right? And so we're going to do this, and it's going to be, it's going to be fun because we know where it's going to lead us. So I want to end with one last story. This week, um, Mary gave me a great book to read, um, uh, Michael Eric Dyson's book, Tears We Cannot Stop, A Sermon to White America. Uh, professor Dyson is a sociology professor at Georgetown University. He's also, a, uh, for the past like 30 years, ordained um, pastor. And uh, he... Um, has classes every semester, and and he told the story of how, uh, as they started studying race in America, one student uh, said, let me get the quote right, for the first time in my life, I feel guilty about being white. And in that uh, space, there was just quiet, just quiet. That's a place of raw vulnerability, yes? And uh, they sat with it for a little bit that uncomfortableness, that dying to self so that resurrection can happen. They sat with it a little bit. 
And um, what happened is this confession, because that's a confession, right? This confession, this place of vulnerability ended up shaping the semester. It opened a way for the entire class to grapple with their guilt and their anger and their hopelessness to try to make sense of all that was before them. And of course, that class did not solve the problem of white supremacy in America, but the students left that class transformed. The students left that class with new eyes. So this class, it could have been a transaction, right? It could have just been a grade to put on their transcript. Oh, I have to take a sociology class, check. But it sounds like the students in this class did what Amos is asking the people to do, did what God wants us to do, which is to leave the class transformed with eyes open a little bit wider to Jesus' vision for the kingdom of God, with a vision to let justice roll down like water and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. So y'all, let's do it. Let's confess. And let's be transformed. Amen.